Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. An Elio's original. Welcome to Web Crawlers, the podcast where we do a deep dive into some of our favorite unsolved mysteries. Each week, we will introduce our topic, lay out our research and findings, reveal some conspiracy theories, and conclude with our own hypothesis. Who knows? We might even solve the case. I am Ali Siegel. I'm Melissa Stettin. And I'm producer Maria. Hell yeah, you are. Webcrawlers has a Patreon to get access to rewards, bonus episodes, shoutouts, merchandise discounts. Please go to patreon.com slash webcrawlers. You can donate as little as $2 a month to become one of our bimbo patrons. Please also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's very important. Yes. If you give us a five-star review, a screenshot and DM it to us and we will shout you out on the podcast. Also, Erios has a hotline. We should insert the jingle again because a few of my friends who listen to the podcast texted me literally saying, where's the jingle? Wow. Okay. Wow. I have to add it. I've been lazy because we've been singing it. And I'm like, well, that's... We've been singing it. No, I think the singing it's beautiful, but I think people really enjoy that jingle. Yeah, put it back in. I'll put it back in. I'll put it back in right here. 626-604-6262. We got a couple more comments. One is women behaving badly, and I like it. I love these women's irreverent commentary on all things creepy and weird. They make me laugh. No feet pictures necessary. <laughs> and then you guys have to do an episode on communes. The material and scandals there should make for a great episode. Communes. Okay. That's kind of cool. Are those more um, reviews? Yeah. These are two new reviews. Who wrote them? Let's shout out who wrote them. Lindsay's review was the women behaving badly. And then Taylor Morgan was the communes one. Cool. 
Thank you guys very much for writing those reviews. Who are our new patrons? We have Chelsea H and Kelly W. Why does Chelsea spelled like that feel familiar to me? Well, because she sent us an email last week. And now she's a patron. Amazing. Wow. She's basically a friend of the podcast now. Friend of the pod, Chelsea. Chelsea with a C. Two Cs. Yeah, love it. Thank you, Chelsea. Um, I'm super excited for our main story today. And while researching, I found out something or we found out something new and crazy. Yeah. About this couple. You know them from Amityville Horror, The Conjuring movies, Annabelle. Melissa, what is our main story about? So our main story is about Ed and Lorraine Warren. They are or they were paranormal investigators and authors associated with prominent cases of hauntings. Ed was a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, and Lorraine was a clairvoyant. They investigated over 10,000 cases of the supernatural. They were among the first investigators of the famous Amityville haunting. Their case files are the basis for all of the Conjuring movies, too. They claim to have scientific evidence that proves the existence of ghosts. But did they really? Let's Let's get get into into it. it. We've been called ghost hunters, paranormal researchers. But we prefer to be known simply as Ed and Lorraine Warren. For more than 50 years, Lorraine Warren and her husband Ed searched and found ghosts around the world. Do ghosts really exist? A little bit of background. Also, when you wrote, but did they really? I'm like, yeah, they really did. Mm-hmm. Ed, Ed and Lorraine Warren started dating when they were 16. Lorraine was at the movies with some friends in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and Ed was an usher at the movie theater. It was, lo- oh, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> what she put? What did she do? I, I wrote, it was, it it was, was <laughs> love at first fright. <laughs> Oh, Melissa. How could you? (laughs) Just pizzazzing it up a little. (laughs) Yeah, you really did. When Ed turned 17, he went off to fight in World War II, and when he came back, they got married. A few years later, they had a daughter, Judy. Ed's first career was actually painting. He would set up on the side of the road and sell his paintings for a few dollars. Lorraine was a clairvoyant and light trance medium meaning she could channel the spirits of the dead by entering a trance. She grew up going to Catholic school and was afraid to feel different. Her parents didn't want her to cultivate her gift. Ed didn't have a gift, just an education in metaphysics and a curiosity. He didn't have a gift. He had no gifts. He was basic. <laughs> he was basic. He also believed the house that he grew up in was haunted. Ed began to combine his interest in demonology, his art skills, and his wife's psychic abilities to kind of cultivate their business. This was like so bizarre, this this part. Yeah. When the couple, and this felt like a little con artisty. Yes. When the couple would hear of a house that could that was potentially haunted, Ed would set up outside of it and paint the house, like paint a painting of it. 
Then he would, <laughs> then he would, <laughs> he would just, <laughs> just paint it blue. Yeah, he, would, he would just paint it. And then he would like knock on the door of the person's house and be like, hey, I painted this painting of your house. Would you like it? And they'd be like, oh, okay. And then he'd be like, also, I'm a paranormal investigator and I heard your house was haunted. And then he would end up getting a tour of the house usually. And then the tour would end up uh, with Ed and Lorraine uh, doing a paranormal investigation of the home. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, that seems pretty Connie, Connie to me. Yeah, I think that's it's a pretty good really scam. Bizarre. Yeah, it is a good scam. We should do that. But you know, like when someone <laughs> comes to your door and says like, hey, I painted a picture of your house, to, you know, to like close the door because you know they're scamming you on Well, something. this was back yeah, in like I mean? the 50s, though. This was when people were yeah. just opening their doors for whoever. For anyone. Yeah. Anyone. Yeah. So in 1952, when the Warrens were in their mid-20s, they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research which is the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. There are about 100 members, and they've investigated over 10,000 cases. They're still up and running today. Their website says the specialty is demonology, possessions, hauntings, and supernatural. So the Warrens didn't charge for their investigations. They did it all for free. But they made their money from movie and TV rights and books and lectures tours of museums of supernatural artifacts that's next to their home. Yeah, that's one of the most famous things about them is they, and they have that in the movies, is they have um, in their home, or I guess next to their home, they had a museum of all the, they would take artifacts from all of the um, investigations that they did. So they have like the Am- uh, the Annabelle doll. Oh, right. All this crazy stuff. And they would keep it in uh, a house or like a room and they would charge people to come and like look at all the art of the haunted artifacts that they would get from each of their par- paranormal investigations. Cool. So they wrote a bunch of books about the paranormal and about their private investigations into all these reports of paranormal activity. And a lot of the stories of ghost hauntings that were popularized by them have been adapted or have indirectly inspired dozens of films, TV series and documentaries, including 17 films in the Amityville horror series and even seven films in the Conjuring universe. Additionally, by the way, that New England Society of Paranormal Research after Ed and Lorraine died. Lorraine died pretty recently. Uh, yeah, a year ago, April 2019. She, uh, it's now ran by, uh, their daughter Judy and Judy's husband, Tony Spera, who are right. also now like ghost hunters. Yeah. Stays in the family. Yeah, it's How crazy. Lovely. Okay. So this is the weird thing that we, found out. I didn't know about this. And I told my mom that we were researching Ed and Lorraine Warren. And my mom was like, do you know they had a sex slave? And I was like, (laughs) I beg your pardon. But apparently they kind of did. (laughs) You texted the chain and I was like, that's insane. And then I Googled it and I was like, oh no, this is 100% real. Well, I only found the one article you sent me on it. I couldn't find anything else about it. It was that main article in The Hollywood Reporter. And then there was like some other random articles really? that were referencing the hollywood reporter i mean the hollywood reporter is like yeah legit. that's big yeah oh totally that's where i get all my news me too according to the hollywood reporter and my mom ed warren had a young girl and assistant who lived in the house with he and lorraine 
who he would regularly have sex with, or like he was in a relationship with her. And apparently Lorraine knew about it. The reporter reports, in the early 1960s, Ed Warren initiated a relationship with an underage girl. She was 15. With Lorraine's knowledge, now in her 70s, Judith Penny, who was the girl, has said in a sworn declaration that she lived in the Warren's house as Ed's lover for four decades. Oh, God. It is unclear whether Warner Brothers took any action in response to these allegations, blah, 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 blah. The Warners declined to comment. Ed Warren died in 2006, and Lorraine Warren's attorney, Gary Barkin, says the family has no knowledge of the alleged conduct, and his client, now 90, is in declining health and unable to respond to the allegations. So Lorraine was like, I'm not talking about this. I'm too old. Yeah. For the next 40 years, she said this... The, the woman um, says she had a sexual relationship with Ed with Lorraine's knowledge. At first, Penny stayed in a bedroom directly opposite the one occupied by the married couple. But eventually she moved into an apartment built for her above the home. Oh. Yeah. One night Ed would sleep downstairs, she said in a recording. And then one night he'd sleep upstairs with her. So that's huh. directly from the reporter. I don't know, man. Like, when was this? I mean, okay, the 50s? The 50s. So early, wait, in the early 1960s. So they would have been, Ed would have been like in his 30s. So like, it's never cool to have sex with a 15-year-old girl. But like, the 60s were like a weird time, right? (laughs) I love a butt. But, yeah, they were. Isn't that when like Austin Powers was? Yes. Yes. And that was But when you're like talking to demons all the time, like you're not going to live by the rules, you know? You're living on the edge. That's what I think too. And like initially this pen Okay, well, I don't want to get into a shady area. <laughs> so that's just some that's just something that happened. Yeah, that's crazy. You can either villainize them for that or you can be like weird swinging couple. And if she stayed for 40 years? No, Melissa. That's what I'm thinking. She wasn't, she was like allowed to go if she wanted. She like. But then it's like, was she really allowed to leave though? I mean, if you're right. 15 and you're like. Maybe she got Stockholm yeah. syndrome. It's, it's problematic. You know she was chained to the wall. You know they had her. They were probably up. doing exorcisms on her. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. This woman's still alive. Yeah, Penny. We should get in touch Judith with Penny. Penny, yeah. She's like 90. I wonder what our friend of the pod, um, John Tenney, John Tenney would think of the Warrens. Oh, well, we, we should. We'll ask, ask him. him. We can also think, uh, ask our guests today what they think of the Warrens. Yeah. I've got a lot of questions. It's just hard. It's just hard to believe people who make a living like the Warrens did, where it's like, I don't know if you guys are going to go into this, but the Amityville horror wasn't based on a true story, right? Yeah, it is. No. Well, on Snopes, it says it's not. We, we'll get into that. It's, uh. Okay. Well, we'll it's coming up. Okay, but in my opinion, yes, it is based on a real, ha- it's based on a real haunting. Hmm. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> this is going to be the first episode where where we disagree on things. <laughs> I don't know. I think Melissa didn't quite agree with all your mushroom. <laughs> no, conspiracy. I'm fully on board with those. Okay, wait, but we need to clarify this before we do the episode, I think. Melissa, do you believe in ghosts? I don't really. Okay, well, I really firmly believe in ghosts. Maria, do oh. you? have you seen a ghost, Allie? 
Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> we'll talk about it for God's sake. I don't even know what there is to talk about. I just like, I, I it can't be explained. Like people who see, I like, it's like a constant thing. It like, it was, it's not like a one time thing. Well, what are you seeing? <laughs> Explain it. What are you talking about? <laughs> Say what you see. She's like, you guys see the ghost sitting next to me right now, right? <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? You're saying it's, uh, you can't explain it. What is it? <laughs> is it like an old person like with chains? No, it, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not it at all. It's like an energy. I can't, it's like hard to explain if you don't, if you don't believe in it or if you haven't experienced it. You know that feeling where you feel where someone's standing too close behind you and you can like sense their energy? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it kind of feels like that, but like all the time, like where it's just you can sense someone who's like in the room with you, but there's no one there. And like, I think everyone's attuned to it, but some people just ignore it. But if you're more tapped into it, you just notice it all the time where it's like you feel like someone's there with you or sometimes you'll just like see a shadow or sometimes you'll just see like a glimpse of someone really quick and then it'll just like go away. A weird story, which I've never shared with anyone except for like my therapist. It is a weird story is when I was really little, I used to see ghosts all the time. And like my brothers did too, or not my oldest brother, but me and Jason did. What did occur? Sorry, I was talking. I was talking. Craig heard me yelling at you and thought I was. Was wondering if I was okay. And did you say you're not okay? I was screaming. I was screaming. What are you talking about? You probably thought I was being taken away <laughs> to be Ed and Lorraine's sex slave. <laughs> all right, sorry. So I used to see. Okay, so I used to see ghosts all the time as like a little kid. Because I think you're more like attuned to that as a kid. And also when I was a kid, my grandma was taking me to a lot of these like weird like Reiki sessions and stuff. And so I was just like really tapped into it. So I used to see ghosts a lot. And then my mom had to take me to like a psychic, not a therapist. It was a psychic. I was also in therapy, but she took me to a psychic and the psychic had to teach me like how to like turn it off and like how to. Wow. Yeah. But and this sounds like if you're not a believer, you'd be like, okay, so you're schizophrenic. But like, it's not, it's just like very different. It's, yeah. it's a weird, it's a weird phenomenon. So anyways, yes. I believe I, you asked me if I believe in ghosts. I've never seen one. So it's hard to believe a hundred percent. Right. But I do believe certain people are more open to different energies and different just things that other people are closed off to. So I don't, I definitely think that you're more in tune to like energies and stuff. I don't even know if I would clarify it as a ghost because it's not like I'm, but I think maybe some people are more like, oh, I see something and I know like they're the person's like whole life history. And like, I can see like maybe a, like an actual person. Like it doesn't work like that for me at all. But I, sometimes I'm like aware of like another energy in the room with me. Yeah, like I can, I do believe that like places have energies and like if people die in certain places, like they hold a certain type of energy. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Oh, Melissa's coming around now. Interesting. Just, I've never seen a ghost, (laughs) so I don't know, but. I'm going to kill myself and haunt you. (laughs) That'll show her. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be nice to have someone around. (laughs) You just be like, is he hot? Just asking if everyone's hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is he hot? I don't know. Ghost I don't know. 
<laughs> oh, it's okay, Bubba. I scared my dog. Um, okay, so what are some notable investigations that the Ed and, that Ed and Lorraine took place in, took part of? Okay, so there's the Annabelle. Yes. So in 1968, two roommates claimed that the Raggedy Ann doll was possessed by the spirit of a young girl named Annabelle Higgins. Mm. So the Warrens took the doll telling the roommates that it was being manipulated by an inhumane presence and put in, it on display. Inhuman, but also Oh, inhuman. Inhumane. <laughs> it, was, it was treating dogs badly. <laughs> and they put it on display at the family's occult museum. And this is the, the movie Annabelle, Annabelle Creation. They're both spinoffs or and both spinoff prequels of the conjuring and annabelle comes home yeah are loosely based on the story you know what we should do is we should do mini episodes on each of these hauntings yeah because there's a lot of them yeah at first they thought it was the spirit of like this young girl and it was these two nurses who had like i think picked it up at like a or their friend gave it to them or something their friend gave them this doll and they thought that it was they felt like it was the spirit of like a young girl was in it. And then it was causing like a ruckus in their home. And then mm-hmm. they called Ed and Lorraine and they were like, no, there's a demon inside it. We have to get this. Don't ever accept a doll from a used doll. Well, we talked anyone. about that eBay haunted doll market. Oh my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. They should have kept the doll as it really looks in real life for all the Conjuring and Annabelle movies. Oh, 100%. Because I agree. They, they did not. They did that doll in Injustice. Oh, yeah. Because they, like, made it all, like, ventriloquisty, but it's like, just make it a Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That should be your cause. <laughs> yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. Yeah, I'm going to do something to, like, reshoot, <laughs> yeah. like, reshoot scenes from Annabelle in the Conjuring universe. Like how they had to CGI the buttholes out of the movie Cats. Oh, yeah. Exactly like that. Exactly like that. And then there's the Perrin family. So in 1971, the Warrens claimed that the Harrisville, Rhode Island home of the Perrin family was haunted by a witch who lived there in the early 19th century. And according to the Warrens, Bathsheba Sherman cursed the land so that whoever lived there somehow died a terrible death. The story is subject of The Conjuring. And Lorraine was a consultant to the production and actually had a cameo in the film. Yeah. I don't remember her cameo. I don't either. It's probably just like she was like an extra just like waving. (laughs) She played like a mailman or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's the Amityville Horror. So the Warrens are probably best known for their involvement in the 1975 Amityville Horror in which a New York couple, George and Kathleen Lutz, claimed that their house was haunted by a violent, demonic presence so intense that it eventually drove them out of their home. On November 13, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald J. DeFeo Jr. murdered his entire family while they were asleep in the house. Only a year later, I think it was like 13 months after, the Lutz family bought the home but they only lasted 28 days before they moved out. Did you guys read the Amityville Horror book when you were no, a kid? No, did you? I don't know no. how to read. 
<laughs> yeah, I read it when I was like 11 or 12, and it Whoa. scared the shit out of me. I don't know I where I got imagine it. imagine 11 year old Melissa reading that. Yeah. Eyes wide. All I read were scary. I read Fear Street books. That's all I read was just terrifying wow. books. That's so cute. Pretty cool. I read Nickelodeon magazine. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's that cool. That was the best. So the Lutz family claim to smell strange odors and see green slime oozing out of the walls and keyholes and experienced cold spots in certain areas of the house. And when a priest came to bless the house, he allegedly heard a voice scream, get out. He told the Lutzes to never sleep in that particular room in the house. There's a rumor that the house was built on an Indian bur- burial ground. Yes. But I went to AmityvilleMurders.com and it says that it's a myth and there's no record that there was ever an Indian burial ground or sanitarium on Ocean Avenue. So, wah, wah. I don't know about that. So then on March 6, 1976, Ed and Lorraine, along with a crew from a television station, Channel 5 in New York, they investigated the house. And during the course of the investigation, they took a series of infrared time lapse photos. One of the images allegedly showed a demonic boy with glowing eyes who was standing at the foot of a staircase. Yeah, that picture feels fake to me. <laughs> yeah. It sounds fake. I think it I think it sounds real. <laughs> allegedly though there was no one else in the house and it just like they, it captured randomly that photo. Infrared photos, you're going to see some weird shit on there. But I have you looked have you looked at the picture? It's like a fully fledged boy. Yeah, it's it feels fake. So the Amityville Horror Conspiracy authors Stephen and Roxanne Kaplan said the case was a hoax. But Lorraine told a reporter for the Express Times newspaper that it wasn't a hoax. And it was the basis for the 1977 book, The Amityville Horror, which was adapted into movies. And according to Benjamin Radford, the story was refuted by eyewitnesses, investigations, and forensic evidence. And in 1979, lawyer William Weber reportedly said that he, Jay Anson, and the occupants invented the horror story over many bottles of wine. But But for... for fun? For money. But they didn't but they didn't even get that much money for the rights though. Well, it says on Snopes that they had seen the ex this exorcist had just come out in December 1973. And it was like big in the public's mind, like uh, uh, demonic possessions and stuff. So that's how they spun the story. Mm. Interesting. Okay. But then Daniel, the son, I looked him up. He lives in Queens. He claims the house ruined his life and he still has nightmares. But he also said that his stepdad, jo- his stepdad George, was physically and verbally abusive. Interesting. So he hasn't really, he did like one interview where he just talked about like how awful his stepdad was, but he doesn't really remember much. <laughs> the reporter's like, uh, this is not what we wanted to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now, Maria, would you move into a haunted house? For the right price? Uh, <laughs> well, it depends. It depends. I've never experienced any house hauntings. 
Like nothing's ever like gone bump in the night. There was the time when all the lights were turning on in Craig and my apartment, but then we realized it was just like a blown fuse or something like that. But it was really frightening for a little bit. Like if it was like a famous haunt, it was like, oh, this house is haunted. But then like someone bought it and like redid it. There's like a Japanese garden. It's like your dream home. Sounds beautiful. I don't know if that's a sunken living room home. (laughs) Like an old. Okay, so I. I don't, I wouldn't because even when I hear someone has died somewhere or like something horrible has happened somewhere, whether that energy is there or not, I'm burdened with that energy of just knowing that it happened there. Like I went to like um, Normandy. I went to like the beaches of Normandy and just like Uh. walking around. You're just like, oh my God. Like it's just like there, the knowing, the knowing that these, like if, or if you drive by like the Menendez brothers house or something like that in Beverly Hills, you're like, oh my God. Like there's just an energy to knowing what the history was there. Yeah. And so that, that would really bump me out, I think. I would. You would move in? Yeah, in a second. I think there's actually a show on Quibi, which I like refuse to watch Quibi, but where they, it's called like Haunted House Flip, where they take haunted houses and flip them. That sounds like something I would have pitched and no one would have bought. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, I think I've like pitched that yeah. show. Like, I think that is like our podcast. Like, I think we've pitched yeah. that. Like, like, I think we pitched <laughs> that to Sony. <laughs> I just don't understand. And then they just it. make it on their own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So there's a few other, well, I mean, there's a lot, but some other ones. The Enfield poltergeist in 1977, Ed and Lorraine investigated claims that a family in the North London suburb of Enfield was haunted by poltergeist activity. While a number of independent observers dismissed the incident as a hoax carried out by attention hungry children, the Warrens were convinced that it was a case of demonic possession. The story was the inspiration for The Conjuring 2, which was a good movie. Although critics say the Warrens were involved to a far lessened degree than portrayed in the movie. And in fact, had shown up to the scene uninvited and been refused admitted admittance to the home. Oh, no. That's embarrassing. Showed up uninvited. Why wouldn't they invite them to the set? Maybe they were like... No, uninvited uninvited to the uninvited to the actual house, the Enfield Poltergeist. Oh. There was like the haunt... There was the haunting and the, the Lorraine and Ed showed up to the haunting and they were like, we'll investigate it. Ed was probably outside painting a picture of the house. <laughs> In 1981, Arne Cheyenne Johnson was accused of killing his landlord, Alan Bono. Ed and Lorraine Warren had been called prior to the killing to deal with the alleged demonic possession of the younger brother of Johnson's fiance. The Warrens subsequently claimed that Johnson was also possessed. I don't know if I believe in like possession. Yeah, the whole exorcism possession thing is. I don't. I don't, I don't jump on that train. No. How come? I don't know, but maybe it's one of those things where I've never seen it or experienced it, so I don't believe it. But then, like, the same could be said for seeing ghosts for other people, so I don't know. I think if you're asking me, which I don't think you did, but I'm going to (laughs) just What's your thought, Maria? I think that exorcisms became a thing before mental health was ever truly recognized as something. That's a great idea. And so I think the stories of like the way people acted or like the having a demon in them are very much things that you could all equate to certain types of mental illnesses. Yeah, like schizophrenia. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I just think it's the stories we tell ourselves to kind of make it into something more magical than it 
Yeah, and I feel like all these exorcists are kind of like faith healers where they're just like kind of taking advantage of people. Yeah, for sure. At the trial, Johnson attempted to plead not guilty by reason of demonic possession. That's not a thing. It is. It's that movie. What's that movie that she's, um, the Emily... Exorcism of Emily Rose. Emily Rose. Isn't that her defense is like... Uh, possession. But can you do like like, reasonable insanity? I feel like when you're taking the bar exam, they're not like, tell us about like not guilty by reason of demonic possession. I'm Googling that. (laughs) Not guilty. Well, that's the same thing as insanity, right? Well, that's what you would plead. Not, not, yeah, yeah, I think it would say by insanity, not, not guilty by reason of demonic possession. possession. (laughs) Okay. No, it wasn't in the exorcism of Emily Rose. It wasn't that it was that Tom Wilkinson was being prosecuted for the wrongful death of a girl thought to be demonically possessed because he administered the church sanctioned exorcism that ultimately killed her. Right. So he was Mm. on the trial for murder for doing an exorcism. Right. But you can't plead not guilty by reason of demonic possession. The plea would be not guilty by reason of insanity. Yeah. Not in my court. I just want to clarify for all our lawyers out there listening. I don't want to get any bad reviews. The story is the inspiration for The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. I have never seen that movie. Did that come out? It comes out September. September 10th, 2020. Paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren tried to uncover the truth behind a murderer's claim of demonic possession. It comes out September 10th, 2020 in Slovakia. Ooh, let's go. I'm down to if if the travel ban, uh, I mean, if the travel restrictions are up by then for Corona. Okay, the Snedeker House. In 1986, Ed and Lorraine proclaimed that the Snedeker House a former funeral home was infested with demons. The haunting in Connecticut is very loosely based on the Warrens' version of events. Horror author Ray Garten, who wrote an account of the alleged haunting of the Snedeker family in Southington, Connecticut, later called into question the veracity of the accounts contained in his book, saying the family involved, which was going through some serious problems like alcoholism and drug addiction, could not keep their story straight, and I became very frustrated. It's hard writing a nonfiction book when all the people involved are telling you different stories. To paranormal investigator Benjamin Radford, he said of Lorraine, if she told me the sun would come up tomorrow morning, I'd get a second opinion. Ooh, Ooh burn. Pennsylvania residents Jack and Janet Smurl reported their home was disturbed by numerous supernatural phenomenon, including sounds, smells, and apparitions. I don't understand why demons are always, like, smelly. Yeah, what's this, like, some weird smells and oozes. There's always a stench. The Warrens became involved and claimed that Smurl Home was occupied by four spirits and also a demon that allegedly sexually assaulted Jack oh, and God. Janet, a threesome. The Smurl's version <laughs> of their story was the subject of a 1986 paperback titled The Haunted and a made-for-TV t- movie of the same name. There is also something called The Werewolf. In 1991, the Warren's book, Werewolf, The True Story of Demonic Possession, was published in which they claimed to have exorcised a demon, manifesting itself as a werewolf. The werewolf entity had made a brief appearance in the film Annabelle Comes Home. I don't believe, I don't believe in werewolves, I'll tell you that much. You believe in Bigfoot? See, like, I 
I don't know about like this whole cryptid <laughs> thing. Like, yeah, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole. Like, that's a whole other world. And then they say yeah, like Bigfoot. Know. Bigfoot's a time traveler. Who says that, Allie? Everyone. Like, everyone. That's like the common belief about Bigfoot is he's a time traveler. From the past or the future? Well, if you're a time traveler, there is no there is no time. <laughs> Maybe it's from a parallel dimension. I think he's a dimensional time traveler. That's that's a good point, Melissa. Thank you. He's like a he's like a uh an interdimensional traveler. Yes. Ad- yes. Bigfoot is an interdimensional traveler. I think we actually learned that at AlienCon. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that guy was talking about tell like lecturing us on why not to time travel. Yeah. We, we went to a whole we went to a seminar on time traveling and it was just a guy talking for an hour about why we shouldn't time travel. <laughs> that was amazing. Oh man, I can't wait for AlienCon again. Oh, the best. AlienCon's oh. canceled. Oh, but oh no, that's oh, one of the worst like things a, of Corona. Virtual. Yeah, they should do virtual. Are they? Well, I don't know if they're doing a virtual, but our guests today, uh, Greg and Dana, they're taking part in like a virtual, like uh, supernatural thing that we should go to. Okay, sorry. Continue. Do you guys remember watching Road Rules? I've never got into it. There's the All Stars Challenge back in early 2000s where they had to sleep in a haunted mental hospital and Ed and Lorraine were on the episode. Oh my God, that's wild. Yeah, it was like, who was it? Eric Knees and um, John, the cowboy guy, the guy who goes, true story. That's crazy. I never watched that show, but. <laughs> but they had to like, they had to prove that ghosts were real and like, they had to stay the night in this haunted place. It was scary. Yeah, that is scary. They didn't see anything though. Whatever. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
So then there's a couple of skeptics, Steve Novella and Perry DeAngelis. They're co-founders of the NESS, which is a New England Skeptical Society. They sound so not fun. They sound like big nerds. Yeah, they sound like huge (laughs) nerds. Yeah. They investigated the Warrens. And they said they found the couple to be pleasant people, but their claims of demons demons and ghosts to be at best as tellers of meaningless ghost stories and at worst, dangerous frauds. Mm. They took the $13 tour and they looked at all the evidence that the Warrens had. They watched the videos, looked at the best evidence, and their conclusion was it's all blarney. They found common errors with flash photography and nothing evil in the artifacts They said they have a ton of fish stories about evidence that got away. They're not doing good scientific investigation. They have a predetermined conclusion, which they adhere to literally and religiously. But Lorraine said that the problem with Perry and Steve is they don't base anything on God. Steve responded, said it takes work to do solid critical thinking to actually employ your intellectual faculties and come to a conclusion that actually reflects reality. That's what scientists do every day, and that's what skeptics advocate. So Stephen Perry didn't think the Warrens would intentionally cause harm to anyone. They did caution that claims like Warrens serve to reinforce delusions and confuse the public about legitimate scientific methodology. Mm. And then in 2012, the Viking News of Westchester Community College, they wrote an editorial objecting to the use of student fees to pay... Uh, Lorraine to lecture like she was going to come they were going to pay her to lecture but like don't people get paid to lecture like isn't that a thing yes Warren along with her late husband Ed are audacious and unabashed frauds capitalizing on the completely meritless superstition which is all too common in modern society that's what the article said they seem like closed closed brained losers to me I mean I do like that Ed and Lorraine did not charge for these Investigations. investigations that would make it seem really shady the thing that i don't like about them is that they mix like religious elements into their investigations so the hauntings would involve like faith which for some people like sounds compelling and can like you know draw them in it's kind of like faith healers but i think that there is like a a, a spiritual aspect to I mean, whatever your spirit spirituality is, like hers obviously was more like doctrine, which I don't relate yeah. to. But I think there is a spiritual aspect to when you're relating to the other side. So I don't know. It's hard to distinguish between yeah. the two. But either way, like I don't think that like working with spirits or like working with this other side, like I don't think it's a scientific it's not like a really a scientific method, I would say, or maybe no. I don't know. So I don't know how you can prove it like with science or maybe you can, I don't know. But like, it's hard to re- be open to it when you're only relating to it scientifically is it instead right. of like emotionally. So I don't instead know. of like spiritually. Yeah. So like scientifically, sure, it can be disproven like by looking at photos or whatever. Right. But like spiritually and like, I will say, though, in a discrediting way, when I look at pictures of Ed and Lorraine, I do not get a good vibe. <laughs> wow. 
Wow, you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> what's the what's the vibe you get? I just get a little bit of a mucky vibe. Look at a picture of them and tell me tell me be vibe police. Look at her smile. Well, maybe it's the sex slave they had in their basement. <laughs> that is kind of weird. It wasn't in their basement. It was in their what's the opposite of a basement? Their attic. <laughs> what's the opposite of a basement? <laughs> Google Ed and Lorraine and tell me if you think they're posy vibes. Lorraine's got like a real evil smile. Like she's up to something. They just don't feel like, uh, like, you know, like when people are like, yeah, I practice like what? Oh, she looks kind of happy here. But you know, when people are like, oh yeah, I'm like a white witch or like I practice, like there's like a lightness about her that maybe isn't there in, yeah. in pictures of them. Yeah. I'm going to send this picture to the group chat and then you can tell me what you think. No, they look like if you went to their house, they'd, they'd lock the door and cook you in a in a pot of stew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they do. They yeah. look like child. They look like 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 Hansel and Gretel. Like Yeah. Like, they look like they cook children. Yeah, there's something a little off about their energy. They're children cookers. They are children cookers. <laughs> Anyways, today I'm super excited because we have a really cool interview with another married paranormal investigator couple. They are paranormal investigators. They're the founders of Planet Weird. They're directors of the Paranormal Museum and executive producers and cast members. Cast members sounds weird. They are they are the show of Hellier on Amazon, Greg and Dana Newkirk. And to piggyback on last week's episode, Dana is also an incredible healer and witch. So we have a few questions for them on ghost hunting. They also do like UFO alien stuff. So we have a few questions for them. Thank you guys so much for coming. I so appreciate it. We're so excited. Of course. of course. Thank you for asking us. We're super excited. How do you, is it Hellier? Hellier, yeah. Okay, cool. Unless you're from the area, then it's Hellier. I'm making my mom watch it uh, with me today because she's obsessed with ghost shows and she hasn't seen it yet. Ooh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> and she's she's used to Zach Baggins bullshit. Oh, Zach oh, Baggins. <laughs> I can enjoy Zach Baggins bullshit just as much as anyone else. Yes. Um, but I don't feel like there's 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 not a whole lot of uh, variety there. It's yeah. all the yeah. same. I saw him. I was driving in Hollywood and there was a black suburban driving down the street and his head and the two other investigators had had their head. They all had their heads out the windows like puppies driving down <laughs> Hollywood Boulevard. They're probably catcalling. I don't think they were just yeah. taking it in. On that note, first, do you guys uh, mind introducing yourselves real quick? Yeah. Sure. Um, I'm Dana Newkirk. And I'm Greg Newkirk. And we are the curators of the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult. I guess my first question is, how did you guys get uh, into this unconventional line of business that you guys do? Total accident. It was, yeah, <laughs> it was really... We both, I mean, we've both always really been interested in the paranormal and we, you know, many, many moons ago, we, uh, we both had separate ghost hunting teams and I'm from Canada and he's from the States. So we were friends for a while. This was in the GeoCities days, Ooh, which definitely Geo dates Cities. us. Uh, Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so, yeah, we, uh, my team in Canada got uh, a Canadian television show about ghost hunting. And uh, unfortunately, our male counterparts were a we little We got all butthurt about, about it. it. Oh, no. <laughs> we were mortal enemies we for were like for many seven years. Oh, wow. No way. Yes. Yeah. And now we're married. That's yeah. how all great love stories begin. You start as mortal enemies. Just, yeah, ruthless, ruthless mean enemies. Mean boys. <laughs> mean boys. Are the ghosts in Canada nicer than the ghosts in America? <laughs> I kind of think that they are, to be honest with you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> really? I do. They like, they say story when they like, when they're haunting your house. They're like, Sorry, guys. They're, but they're very passive aggressive, which is. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Canadian trait. You can go in that room if you want, but <laughs> it's up to it, you, I guess. Was, was I rattling these chains too loud? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> what was your show like? Who, who were you ghost hunting with? It was it was called The Girly Ghost Hunters. Uh, it was very back in the early 2000s. And it was actually my team were all female. So it was just my friends and I traveling all around Ontario uh, investigating the paranormal. And so, yeah, it was uh, it was really fun. I mean, it was amazing to get the chance to actually investigate in a lot of these places. And uh, it was really fun to kind of be four young women traveling yeah. around. And I'm pretty sure it's still on Amazon Prime. Oh. It is. It's very don't judge me for all my bucket hats in <laughs> uh, early 2000s. <laughs> Say the name of the show again so everyone can watch it. It was called The Girly Ghost Hunters. We were talking about it. There's not enough shows nowadays with all female ghost hunters. I know. It's it's a really weird thing. And we talk about it a lot that it seems as if the as far as like paranormal television goes, they're really obsessed with if there is a woman who's in some position of kind of being a leader, they always pair her up with man because it's almost yeah. as if they don't think that we can we can yeah. hold a television show on our own. Which well, have really you crappy. seen the the show Ghost Girls? <laughs> no. Mm. It's a show I did with my friend Amanda Lund. For Oh, no, I have. I, I wrote an article about this for Weekend Weird no years way. ago. You did? I did. <laughs> yes, I did. I did. Did we do okay? Like, did we do? <laughs> yeah, no, it was, a, it was a good article. Okay. Yeah. Did, like- <laughs> didn't Jack Black produce it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm. uh, yeah, I know. But it was yeah, about yeah. two ghost hunting girls, ghost girls. It's That's awesome. And there needs, I think there really needs to be a lot more of that. I mean, give us our own shows. We don't need dudes with us. We There's not know. a lot of representation that isn't like white Christian yeah. male yeah. in the paranormal in yeah. general. Oh, interesting. It's, it's something that, uh, you know, you look around and it's very, everything is very uh, based on, on Christian religion. Mm-hmm. It's all white dudes yelling at demons. There's not a lot of representation uh, outside of outside of white Christian males. So that's an interesting segue because we were just talking about that. We are, our episode is on Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm-hmm. Sure. We were talking about how they are, like how Christianity and stuff like that kind of played a part in their uh, whole thing. What are your What are your thoughts on them, if any? We get compared to them a lot, and I we usually know that when people uh, when people say that they're they're you know it's a they're they're, they're trying, trying to, to be give kind. us a compliment. Yes, they're trying yeah. to and and we yeah. take it as a compliment in that space. But I mean, we're pretty open with saying that a lot of what Ed and Lorraine were doing was actually pretty. It's kind it of racist and the, xenophobic. Yeah. And I mean, I grew up reading Ed and Lorraine. So my dad is a Baptist minister. Oh, wow. That's I, really? Yeah. That, so you can imagine what he thinks about my chosen career. <laughs> yeah. I grew up reading Ed and Lorraine and I, I loved it. Like that's part of the reason why I do what I do. But I just reread their, their first book, Ghost Hunters, really? um, for the first time in 
20 years maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was kind of disgusted by it because really? it's everything about how like, like, for example, one of the stories in it is about how a man ends up, his home becomes uh, possessed by a demon mm-hmm. because they adopted a child from India. Oh, it's stuff geez. like that. Yeah. Holy and, shit. And, and Lorraine are responsible for a lot of the satanic panic that happened in the 80s. And oh that God. destroyed yeah. a lot of people's yeah. lives. Yeah. Like, people went to jail oh, yeah. for false stories about being satanically, you know, satanic ritually abused. And um, they stoked a lot of those flames. Mm-hmm. So I don't, wow. I think they believed a lot of what they said. Right. Sure. But I think a lot of what came out of them wasn't just fun pop culture totally. films. It was actually really harmful information. Yeah. And I mean, when you look at a lot of, when you look at the general vibe of the paranormal community kind of today, it's rippled throughout it and when you really when you really talk to people a majority of them are coming at it from a very christian based perspective and everything is demons and everything is evil right, yeah. or or it's grandma it's it's like one of the two there's nothing <laughs> yeah. in the middle so we were constantly kind of in this position where we're just trying to change people's perspectives about what is going on and what what the potentials of the the paranormal really is as a opposed to, you know, a lot of the stuff that's been grandfathered in. Yeah, that's interesting because we were we were looking at the pictures of them and we were like, their vibe seems a little uh a little negative. If you look at all the pictures of them, there's something yeah. a little a little murky if you energetically you, when you Do you guys ever read that crazy Hollywood reporter article yes. about them from a couple years we ago? We were yeah, they have like a sex slave. Yeah, and she crazy. was she was very I think she was like 15. Yes. She was really young and, too, wasn't she? And she was allegedly uh, you know, Ed always talked about this famous piece of footage. I remember back in the day when I was a teenager going to ghost conventions, yeah. Ed was in a coma at the time, but everyone would talk, all of his protégés would talk oh, yeah. about this famous piece of footage he had of the white lady in the cemetery in Connecticut. Right. Yeah. That little girl allegedly was her. Oh. No, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> Holy shit. It's yeah, in it's the crazy. Hollywood Reporter article. Oh my god! Um, I didn't, I didn't see that part, but we we saw the part where it was like she she lived in the house for like forty years in some weird yeah. apartment upstairs, and he would just spend one night with Lorraine and then the next night with her. Mm-hmm. It's great. Is that what we have to look forward to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can see why we wanted you on, since you guys are so similar. Good lord. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. So speaking of getting back to you guys, so speaking of hell you're and stuff like that and shedding a positive light on what ghost hunting and stuff like that can be, tell us about like your show and what, and what that's all about. Hellier is something that, you know, I think like all of the best things in our lives was a complete accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there was uh, I used to be part of a ghost hunting team when I was a kid, yeah. Ghost Hunters Incorporated. <laughs> and we weren't, we weren't actually incorporated. It just sounded cool when we were a bunch of teenage so boys. Cool. <laughs> yeah, see? That's, uh, that's really cool. Yeah. We, uh, that's we, so cute. This, this gives you an idea of how seriously we took it. We um would steal our parents' credit cards and order crossbows oh, and battle axes. Wow. And, and what were you like going to do with the ghosts with those crossbows? No. <laughs> it looked cool in pictures, yes. guys. It looked cool on our website. It was definitely like the era of Buffalo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So we were just kind of LARPing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that was the website that we had that stayed up for years and years. And uh, I, you know, we hadn't been part of that group for a long time, but I got an email to that old address 
from a man from Hellier, Kentucky, who said there are little creatures coming out of a mine shaft on the edge of my property. Yeah. They're ter- terrorizing my children, tapping on the windows at night. They stole my dog. Oh, God. And uh, he said, I was told that you have the expertise to help me with this. Oh, my God. Make no sense <laughs> yeah. at all because the website prominently featured a photo of us with torches. It's like 97. Yeah. Batarangs, like ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, made no sense. But, you know, I responded the way I normally do, which is, well, that's a great story. Can you give me some more? Like, I can't. I was living in Canada at the time. It's like, I can't come to rural Kentucky without some evidence. And the guy sends me photos of what he says to the creatures and three toed footprints. Oh my God. They were, and, and all of my Bigfoot hunting friends, who were the only people I could think to send them to, said, You should take this seriously because these prints have dermal ridges on them, which are basically fingerprints for your feet. Very oh. hard to host. And so uh, we started to take it seriously. And then um, we moved to Cincinnati. And a friend of ours that we'd met at the Stanley Hotel, Carl Pfeiffer, he heard me tell this story on a podcast and uh, realized we'd never followed up on it. And he just had this synchronicity storm, meaningful coincidences kept right. happening to him. And he said, we have to go and f- follow this trail and see where it goes. And now you know, we're in the second season. Um, we just released a second season in November. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's crazier than we ever could have imagined. I mean, it involves cults and yeah ancient gods. ancient gods and extraterrestrials yeah. <laughs> and ghosts and had you moved to cincinnati just on a like on a whim and then that was no we, we, we got our day jobs for the longest time where we were travel writers and so oh. we got a job uh heading up the weird section of a new startup here in cincinnati but that's crazy because that's right on the border of kentucky literally, literally. yeah right like there. we live in kentucky oh, right. now yeah that's crazy yep so we ended up two and a half, three hours away from Hellier. Right. Wow. That's so weird. I have a a quick question about Bigfoot only because we were literally talking about him like two minutes ago. (laughs) Do do you think he is an interdimensional or she? Do you think (laughs) they they are an (laughs) interdimensional time traveler? I mean, I think we have very, we have different ideas. So for me, I think a majority of what people are seeing uh, when they're having Bigfoot encounters are that he's like a tulpa with some sort of a thought form, basically that like, and again, you know, this is just kind of one aspect of it, but I think that when you see him kind of blinking in and out or people have, you know, he, there's no footprints or there's, there's a very weird kind of uh, error about the experience. I often think that what they're experiencing is some sort of like mass thought form or tulpa. Interesting. Yeah. But I mean, Greg has a different idea. I think he's a ghost. I think Bigfoot's a ghost was something that may have existed at one time. Oh, that's interesting. That's why the tracks can go for, you know, a hundred yards and then disappear disappear into nowhere. Whoa. Interesting. Okay. What is a ghost? Uh, wow, Allie asked us a hard question. I don't. Let's unpack that one. Diane Sawyer over here. <laughs> I wish I knew. Mm-hmm. I can only give you uh, my my educated guess. Yeah. I think the longer we do this, and the more we look into the actual psychology of ghost sightings, I'm led to believe more and more that ghosts are some lingering intelligence Mm. of uh, 
people or, or entities, human, otherwise, that exist in another place that we can sometimes mentally access mm-hmm. if our emotions are right if or everything's the, right. the geological makeup of the place is right. I don't think that they're just dead people. I think that it's, uh, I mean, there's a couple different things. So like if you want to say, you want to break it down, there's the intelligence haunting which uh, you know seem to be interactive. Mm. There's the ones that seem to just kind of play like a movie. Those are just like, they seem like weird impressions in places. And then there's another kind where we, I think we see this more than anything mm-hmm. is something we call an intentional haunting. And we see those so much because we deal with so many haunted objects. Mm. Yes. I think what people do is they, they put so much fear or emotion into something, they end up haunting it. And they don't realize it. So much of the stuff that we're sent never does anything for us. I would say 90, 95% of the stuff people send us is haunted for them, mm-hmm. right? but not necessarily for us. And I think you see that with locations a lot. Yeah, Because sure. we've seen places that were never haunted. They're on one television show, one popular television show, talking about how haunted they are. And then they are haunted. Yeah. John Tenney thought, said that too. Absolutely. Yeah. You see it. I mean, one of a a great example of that also is you can see it with uh, if if a group of people, if a group of psychics come in and they want to pass the spirits on or help them move on, they might have a profound experience and feel very much as if they've helped something move on. But then the second you invite another group of ghost hunters and suddenly the activity's back again. So it's, it's so much about our intentions when we're, when we're actually investigating. And I think that that really lends a lot to uh, the activity that's going on. Like we're very much a part of the process as, yeah. as the people who are interacting with the entire thing. It's all a long winded way to say, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we learned so much from that. I'm the only one here who believes who, quote unquote, believes in ghosts. Although I almost convinced Melissa. I mean, I don't, I haven't seen a ghost. Sure. Mm -hmm. But like, I believe in like the energies and like, yeah, that's what I said too. It's like spiritually. I would, I would highly suggest, even if you don't believe in ghosts, if you're looking for a way to rationalize it, which I think is what most people who don't believe in ghosts Mm -hmm. are always doing. We need a way to rationalize it. Look into the work of someone by the name of uh, Michael Persinger. Um, he passed away not too long ago, but he has a really fantastic lecture online called No More Secrets. Mm. And this, this lecture, is, he doesn't explicitly say it, but you can read between the lines. He talks every is likely connected by the, the Schumann resonance, which is this like seven hertz um, electromagnetic signal that wraps around the earth. It takes about 10 minutes to upload and download because we are probably connected to that. That's probably to blame for a lot of psychic visitations. Um, when people, you know, mother and a, a daughter are in trouble and they're on different sides of the planet, the mother instinctually knows the daughter's in trouble. Yeah. Or they're visited by someone who just passed, almost like a coping mechanism. So I think that ghosts are all in our heads, but that doesn't mean they aren't real. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, that is an interesting take on that. So that goes into the science. Okay, so maybe the science does play a part in it. Oh, absolutely. Th- yeah, for yeah. sure. I think, you know, when you start to look into some of the research that's being done by prominent parapsychologists, people like um, Dean Radin, mm-hmm. for example, who wrote a, a bunch of really fantastic books a- about these types of topics, you start to notice they can prove to a greater degree than they can prove that aspirin works 
that psychic phenomena is real to some degree. There is some idea that precognition is a thing that humans innately have, but because it sounds so new agey, a lot of people have trouble taking it seriously, even though parapsychology has more rigorous testing done on it for that exact reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the more we go further into the future with parapsychology, the more we're going to see that that stuff does exist and we'll start to be able to harness that stuff a little better or maybe understand how it works a little more. I just think that the problem is we're we're so used to thinking ghosts are, are dead people and demons. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the hard part, right? Is sort of like re-educating people about what they could be versus what we kind of have already, you know, it's it's so much a part of pop culture. And it, when we think about ghosts, we're, dis- we're thinking about disembodied souls that are yeah. trapped on the planet. And uh, there's so many different theories and there's so much uh, research that's been done to kind of not necessarily disprove that, but just kind of extend what we potentially are looking at. And I think that's where it gets really weird and interesting. Mm -hmm. Totally. So what kind of, um, what kind of tools do you guys use when you're out in the field to kind of engage with these other spirits or whatever. I mean, these days it's, it's not so much the, I mean, the stuff with the blinky lights is always fun and looks <laughs> right. really cool on camera, but the stuff we use more these days is, you know, we're using things like, uh, are you guys familiar with the God helmet? Well, only because I saw it on your yeah. show and I was like, this is insane. <laughs> so we just built a new version of it. That's like four or five times as powerful. Oh my so God. normally it has like 16 magnetic coils and we upped ours to 64. <laughs> so for so, people, for people who haven't watched your show yet, what, what, what is that? And what does it look like? Or what does it do? It is a, a device that was developed by Michael Persinger, Dr. Yeah. Michael Persinger and uh, a guy by the name of Stanley Corin up at Laurentian university in Canada. And the reason they started working with this is they wanted to see what kind of effect electromagnetic fields or magnetic mm-hmm. fields had on the brain. And they started to look at places that had uh, significant reports of hauntings, UFO sightings, uh, religious experiences, things like mm-hmm. that, and noticed that a lot of them fell around geomagnetic anomalies or fault lines. And they release a lot mm-hmm. of, uh, of electromagnetic activity. Well, our brains are electromagnetic in a lot of ways. They decided they were going to build a special helmet that had a series of, of solenoids, um, magnets that were powered by uh, low elect- uh, electric impulses to stimulate different hemispheres of the brain. They started doing this late 70s, early 80s, and uh, they noticed that eventually people started to have pretty extreme experiences where they were having visitations from God. They were seeing dead loved ones. Mm -hmm. They were seeing lights that weren't there. They were hearing voices. And the more they played with this, the more they realized they could even cause particular feelings. They could cause feelings of excitement, fear, lust, all of that, just by targeting different portions of the brain. Eventually, the media dubbed it the God helmet because people were seeing God. But they also used it for psychic experiments. So what they would do is they would bring in um, remote viewers, really talented remote viewers. Ingo Swan is probably the most famous one. He was a, a one worked with the military. And they would uh, arrange the coils in a particular pattern, and then they would have them perform remote viewing. And their hits would go way up when they were wearing it, but only 
if the geomagnetic noise was low, if this, cause the, the sun gives solar flares and yeah. sometimes that seems to screw up whatever connection there is. So they started to form this theory that maybe when the conditions are right, you can use this helmet to uh, connect to whatever cloud, so to speak, there is Mm -hmm. and pull data from it. And whether that's ghosts, religious experiences, psychic phenomena, whatever. So that's the type of direction we typically go in the field these days. I watched your show a bit ago, but correct me if I'm wrong. Did you, you guys connected with like a... I don't know, is alien the right word? You, well, you don't know. I think, I mean, I, I, if I, in the moment, it very much felt like it was something that was ET, something that was extraterrestrial. It, uh, yeah, the experience, I mean, the, it was, it's very hard to describe, but the best way I can kind of put it into words is whatever I was communicating with, uh, it didn't use language. It communicated through, uh, emotion and through uh, symbolism. So, I was sort of trying to figure out how to understand it. And once I started to get it, it felt very intuitive. It felt like, oh, shit. Yeah, like we should be talking like this all the time. It just felt very intuitive. And so uh, there was very much a sense that what we were communicating with was something that was extraterrestrial because it felt very ascended. It felt um, like it was really pushing us to, uh, to understand how to communicate without language. And it was a, it was a really profound moment. I mean, I think even uh, the rest of the group kind of felt very much like there was something legit going something on. Weird yeah. What is this concept of like high strangeness that you guys talk about? Uh, high strangeness is really just, you know, it just seems like a better word than paranormal because oh. paranormal is something that people typically attribute to ghosts. Um, mm-hmm. Even though it just means things that are extra normal, things that are outside the normal realm. Yeah. High strangeness is something that you know, was written about uh, as a term used by John Keel quite often. And John Keel is somebody that, uh, you know, his his work resonates with us quite a bit because he has the same ideas that this stuff is all, it appears different, but it's all probably connected somehow, mm-hmm. probably all coming from the same place. So whether it's UFOs, Bigfoot, ghosts, psychic phenomena, whatever, um, probably all has the same source. And so we just started using high strangeness because uh, I feel like it's a better descriptor than paranormal because yeah. of the connotations behind paranormal. Got it. Mm. Melissa and Maria, do you guys have any questions? Well, you have your paranormal museum. So what kind of stuff do you have in it? <laughs> all kinds all of stuff. All kinds of stuff. <laughs> we, I, I think people they tend to to zone in on and focus in on the things that are, you know, haunted items yeah. or cursed items, things like that. But it's everything from, you know, significant pieces that are significant mm. to paranormal or occult history. You know, we have like original typewritten manuscripts for some of John Keel's books. Wow. Um, th- things like that. Yeah, too. pieces of clothing from some of the most iconic abductees in the moments oh, where oh. they were abducted and brought back. And- we have uh, some of the original testing samples of um, uh, Betty, Betty and Hill's yeah. dress uh betty and barney hill were oh, right. probably the most famous abductees in american history wow. holy shit so like actual lab testing <laughs> samples that they used to go something weird happened yeah. to this woman how do you get those we know a lot of cool people <laughs> <laughs> pretty much <laughs> a lot of the items that we had part of the reason we even started a museum is because people knew we were the weird kids and they would yeah. give us like, I swear this doll's haunted. Yeah. They would give us stuff like that. And we were already sort of collecting that anyway. 
And I uh, mean, it really, it was weird. It started, we were invited to a convention to do a lecture about getting abducted by aliens. And they gave us a, <laughs> as you do, and they gave us a table <laughs> and we didn't really have anything to sell. And we have, again, at this time we had so much weird stuff. So we were like, let's just bring some stuff with us and see if people are interested in it. And it just sort of snowballed from there. So now, I mean, a majority of the objects that we re- receive from people at events. I mean, they're all donated. So oh, wow. It's, wow. it's literally wow. just people walking up to us with stuff under their arms or they, they send us things to our PO box and, you know, a huge portion of what we're doing really with the objects is a, is research. And mm-hmm. so when we get something, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's like chapter one for us. And we really dig into not only the experiences that those people are having with the objects, but really, what we want to understand is why they were active to begin with. Mm. And, and people ask us a lot, like, what's it like to own haunted objects? And we always kind of say, really, at the end of the day, we're kind of more like caretakers than anything else. Mm. And the common theme really is that a majority of the people who come to events or send us things or communicate with us, there's, they're giving us something that for them holds a fear and trauma. And so often what we're doing is really caretaking their trauma because there, there's a, almost something therapeutic to them about just giving that away and they don't have to carry it with them anymore. They don't feel the fear around the object or whatever it is that's imbued itself into that. They don't have to feel it anymore. So there's a process of letting it go. And so really well, what we do is a lot of uh, caretaking for a lot of people's kind of fear. And oh, it, a majority of those things, you know, a, very, a small percentage of the objects that we receive are very active for us. But again, like you said, you know, a few minutes ago that a majority of what we get are, are, you know, they're not going to be active for us just because it's mostly a psychological thing for these people in order to kind of put their emotions, their trauma into a piece and then hand it away. And uh, we're fine to put that on a shelf. And if they're better, after that, um, that's fine too. That's a part of what we do as well. Yeah, but there is a you know there is a small percentage of things that we get that are just insane, and we we and then we then we deal with. It. <laughs> yeah, what do you what do you do for the ones that are active, Dana? I know you also uh, are a witch. Do you do you do special like? Uh, yeah, the best description is whenever a new object joins the museum, there's like a, a very overwhelming sense of uh, trying to figure out where its place is in that energy. Because if you want to think about the museum, sort of someone at one point in time, they mentioned that they think the museum's building itself. So these objects are kind of coming to us for a reason. And so every time a new object comes into the house and joins the the rest of the objects. It's it's sort of figuring out where they fit in that space because sometimes, as, as weird as it sounds, we'll have objects that just don't get along. It sounds really, <laughs> but it's that energy. The energies are very you know confrontational, and we experience then uh, uptake and activity in our home. So mm. for me, really, it's a consistent. One of the things that we never want to happen is just for that energy to get stagnant. Because if it gets stagnant, then it roots itself into that space. Mm. So you have to clear it constantly. And then when new objects come in, it's like figuring out, okay, well, this thing, you know, it's a little bit, a little bit more intense. And, and uh, you know, is there a better way to kind of, uh, is there a better way to technique to cleanse? Or is there a space that it needs to be in that will, uh, will kind of cause the activity to chill out a little bit, but it's just constantly kind of flushing that energy out so it doesn't have time to root and get stagnant because that's when it gets crazy and 
you know, we're, we're, then we're living in a space that we're not in control of, which is kind of not what we want. Then you're in a haunted house. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's not fair to you. I guess one last thing to close is you guys have a really cool Patreon and a magic of the month club. Uh, What is that? So our listeners can join that and take part in it. Yeah. We run a a membership program for our museum, which helps us maintain our work and we do all kinds of stuff for it. I mean, it's whether it's live investigations with some of the artifacts or some of the the people that we work with, um, or even this weekend, uh, we have a three-day paranormal conference we're doing yeah. online since everything was canceled. Oh, right. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, Dana has the Magic of the Month Club, which is pretty cool, I too. do. I have a monthly subscription box that is uh, essentially a ritual that I handcraft for all of the members. So it, it's kind of a nice introduction for some people into magic and witchcraft. And then for some people who've been doing it forever, it's nice to just have someone make things for you so that you could do it yourself. So yeah, every month we have a different themed ritual and... Uh, and yeah, it shows up in your mailbox. That's awesome. And where, where, where can people find you guys online or see your work? Yeah. If people are curious, they can go to paramuseum.com and, uh, all the links to pretty much everything we do is there. If they're interested in Hellier, they can go to hellier.tv and the whole thing's available for free on YouTube or Amazon prime. Awesome. And Dana, what's your, what say your ghost show again? So everyone can watch it. <laughs> it's, it's the girly ghost hunters. Awesome. <laughs> again, don't judge me for my early 2000 fashion. For the There's a lot hats. of bad choices. <laughs> awesome. Guys, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate this. It was so fun. Yeah, no, this was thank great. You Thanks guys. for inviting us. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Anyways, thank you for tuning in. Bye. Bye. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.